0: Hello and welcome to the Studio Rats podcast. This is episode number six. My name is Matt McCabe and joining me is Jeff Elbel.
1: Hello everybody.
0: Why don't we start off by just uh, finding out a little bit what you've been up to, Jeff, and then I'll get a little update of what the heck I've been up to.
1: Well, I don't have to give you the same status update as I do every other week because I finished mixing the Mumble record. Yay!
0: So when does it come out?
1: Uh, November 6th. Is It's Saturday, so it's not a traditional Tuesday release, but I'm going to at least make them sit on it until the uh, album release show is completed.
0: Great. So how do you feel about the uh, the end product?
1: Uh, very good. It took an awful long time. Uh, there was so much revision during this process. Um, it dovetails nicely with the evening's topic. Uh, <laughs> but, well,
0: I planned it that way, of course. Yeah, yeah
1: well done. <laughs> Uh no, this record took a long time because uh, just the, the expectations of what could be achieved with the project uh changed at least two different times as the project was going. So I think I think the whole record was done barring one or two songs three times. Wow. And uh it was it was all um, it was all DIY basement garage recording. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing done in a classy room. But the group did actually, have, and it was recorded. And let me think, uh, probably five different locations, primarily in three houses, and then a lot of the vocals were done in, in another two or three different locations. Uh, so yeah, probably. Oh, and my studio. So never mind, I lost track. <laughs> it was, uh, it was done all over the place. So, the the trick for me was, as much as possible, to make it sound like one project that was you know with a unified sound. Right. The best the best they had access to was when John their their lead singer and primary composer was house sitting for somebody and had access to a full house with a full basement and, and completely empty upstairs with hardwood floors and vaulted ceilings and
0: Nice. Uh, that where they and, track some drums? Uh,
1: yes, in fact the one the one tune that you told me you thought the drums shouldn't be so wet. There were no reverbs on the drums that was just or I was using a lot of the upstairs microphone, so that was spectacular. I thought and and fantastic. We did, I wish we'd have been able to cut all the vocals there, but uh, we weren't able to do that. But we did we did our best with with a lot of the creative space that was available elsewhere.
0: Yeah. Well, I've I've listened to the whole album, and I must say, I mean, it really when you're listening to it, you do not get the sense that it was recorded in you know 50 different locations or whatever. I mean, it does. Song to song, you know there is some variation, um, especially with the drum sounds. But I would say, you know, song to song, it it, it does sound like a cohesive project. So, uh, hats off to you for for pulling it all together and making it sound sound like an album.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'll I'll take a healthy chunk of that credit, uh, <laughs> just because of the amount of time that was invested in. But you know, a lot of it comes down to the strength of the the, the arrangements and uh, a lot of the common the common elements that, that go from one song to the next, and, and that helped that process a lot. Uh, one of my favorite thing about working on this record was just digging into John's background vocal arrangements. He really flew in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir a couple of times.
0: Yeah, his background vocals are excellent, some of the parts that he came up with.
1: Yeah, they're nice. They, they always They always helped the song. They never got in the way, ever. Yep. Every time they were there, you didn't want to hear them without it ever again.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they definitely are very important to the arrangements. The big news over here is I uh, parted with a a large sum of cash and bought myself a Crane Song head. Oh uh, wow! Which has been uh, it's been a pleasure to use, and it's kind of blowing my mind just how how subtle it can be, yet how how much you miss it when you bypass it. It really. It really does bring back some of that analog mojo that, that can be missing from, from recordings, uh, you know, especially if you're, you're, you know, just using the standard, well, I guess would be kind of a standard setup and no, no fancy console or whatever. It really does, does bring something that I think has been missing with, uh, you know, doing stuff in the box. So I've really been enjoying that. I've done a couple projects with it now and can't imagine going back.
1: That's great, as long as it doesn't make you want to go do all your old work again. Well, it
0: yes, I I, <laughs> I have had to resist the urge to at least go back and and uh, remix or at least process my you know my solo album through it. Um, but I've I've you know kind of put my foot down and said okay, you know at some point you have to leave the old projects be. You can't always go back and you know be continually revising them. It's you need to let. Uh, let things lie and move on to the next project. I think,
1: unless you're George Lucas,
0: right? <laughs> exactly. Well, I think that's a perfect example because it's like, <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> I mean, true. Okay, <laughs> the the original movies were just fine. You know, why why go back? I, I don't I don't think anything was added by by going back and revisiting the the, uh, the catalog. Well, why don't we go ahead and transition into uh, this this episode's topic, which actually came to us uh, via a conversation I was having with a listener, Doug from the band Triangle Exception, who seems to be, I know he's not our only listener because I just checked our stats out and the last episode was downloaded 104 times. So I know there are other people out there, but Doug seems to be the only one interacting with us, which... I would invite the rest of you to to get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you and I'll give our contact information at the end of the show. But basically, you know, I wanted to come up with a provocative title for this podcast. So I came up with is DIY killing your creativity or when should you seek outside help for your project that you're working on? I know probably most of you listening to this podcast have a home studio at home and probably uh, you know, write and engineer your own projects. So I thought we would kind of talk about our experience, both Jeff and I, you know, use our studios for our own projects in addition to, you know, working with outside artists. So I thought it would be kind of an interesting topic to talk about. So, you know, I don't know, do you have any, um, hard and fast rules, Jeff, when you say, okay, I've lost all, um, objectivity with this project and need to bring in some outside help
1: I don't have any rules about that per se excepting one I really don't like to master my own mixes so in that situation i'll I'll, I'll go to try to find somebody I know that's got a good room good ears good gear and somebody that I can trust and interact with but in but otherwise I, I don't think I've run into situations where I feel like I need the help and have to fork it over to somebody else because I can micromanage uh, until the dogs come home, or the cows, or whoever. (laughs) Um, But what I do like is having access to a better room. And if I've got budget, I'd always rather track drums in a great room. And to some degree, you can get away with almost everything. Everything else would benefit in being in a great room, but I feel like I've got better control over things like guitars and vocals with the equipment and the space that I do have. I've got a good small space, but this space is designed as a is designed as a mixing and mastering room. So the acoustics are are decent, but I'm never going to get great live room sound for a drum in this space. So, In keeping with the topic, is DIY killing your creativity? Now, if, if the sky's the limit and you can go in and just free yourself to be nothing but a creative artist, then sure, having other people at your beck and call or serving you as a musician... That's, that's a great luxury to have, to just go in and be able to play and not have to worry about engineering and, and checking levels and am I clipping and is this mic placed properly if somebody else can do that? Yeah, what a luxury. But I, I haven't worked in that mode for a long, long time. I miss it. I do miss it. So, Did I answer the question at all?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> I mean... I mean, really, I guess uh, coming from your perspective, it's more about, I mean, I, and I guess really what it comes down to is that you really need to do an assessment of your skills and your abilities. If you cannot set proper recording levels to save your life and all your <laughs> recordings are clipped and distorted, well, obviously that's a case when you would probably need, need some help. But... I mean, it sounds like for you, I mean, obviously you're a well-versed recording engineer, that it's more about, you know, seeking outside help in the form of maybe a different acoustic space or an environment to record drums that you know that your own room is lacking. And again, I mean, I think that goes back to to knowing, knowing your equipment, knowing your skills. And, you know, if For instance, if I needed to record an orchestra or something, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to be able to do that here. I'm going to need to look for a facility to do that. So, you know, really, I think being honest with yourself and your abilities um, is is probably key.
1: I think for people listening to the podcast, if they are finding that doing everything themselves is killing their creativity, they're probably looking for somebody at a professional level, you know, us being examples, uh, we've, we've been through all that, and they're probably going through the same place, uh, through the same trip, and they'll probably get to the same place we are eventually. And you and I both have experience serving other people who are in that situation. I mean, that's the reason that Mumble sought me out to work on their record, is because they couldn't do what I could do. So uh, that, that effort was stifling their creativity and ability to achieve their, uh, their goal of making a, a good, presentable record.
0: I know one thing that I've tried to do in my own studio when I'm working on my own songs is I, I always try to have a vocal chain always plugged in and ready to go and also a guitar chain are all always plugged in and ready to go so that I can just sit down uh, enable, you know, track 1 or whatever and I know I can record vocals, you know, enable track 3 and 4 and I know I can can record guitar It was kind of interesting. I was just reading a book. Um, It's called Behind the Glass, and it's volume two. I think the author's name is Howard uh, Massey or Macy. Anyways, he was interviewing the producer Daniel Lenoir. You know, most famously, probably producer for U two and Peter Gabriel. And he said the same thing. He calls them stations. Well, he'll have a you know his piano station where the piano will always be set up and ready to go. He'll have his guitar station, bass station, and whatever. He also talked about a station that he has set up with Brian Eno's old DX7, and everyone knows not to touch it, you know, because it's set up and ready to go to get, you know, those those sounds that only Brian Eno can get. So that was pretty cool to see that um, you know someone who's famous was also using you know a similar technique to to what I'm doing, and it was kind of kind of reaffirming on on what I do. For my own songs, just to help, you know, keep keep the flow going. If if I'm working on a song, you know, I don't want to bother with having to, to patch in a mic preamp or set up set up a microphone. Right. I can just sit down and go. So that that's something to keep in mind.
1: Sure, and that that again, that's another great luxury. a lot of people don't have enough microphone cables to have that many stations set up in their in their home rigs.
0: Yeah, and and really, I mean, it comes down to. You know, you obviously need to have enough microphones and whatnot, and you may, you know, there may be a better choice to record electric guitar than what your, you know, guitar station is set up as, but I think at the, at least at the songwriting stage, it, it's more important to be able to capture that initial inspiration and that spark, and I mean, really, is it, if you have decent equipment, it's not going to make that huge of a difference if you don't have your best microphone. On your guitar at that time. I mean, you can certainly go back and do some overdubs, but you know, I think it's more important just to capture capture that spontaneity. And and a lot of times, I mean, the, those are the best tracks. So
1: absolutely, well, get it before you four get it every time. Exactly.
0: And I know one thing for myself. Um, you know, again, when I'm when I'm tracking, you know, working on a song. You know, usually as I'm writing a song, I'm also recording it in the computer, and I'm kind of composing as I go along. I I kind of have some rules that at least when it comes down to tracking what I think are gonna be the final versions, I I try to limit myself to the number of of tracks that that I um that I use. For instance, um, well on bass I'll usually I'll keep recording until what I I have what I think are two good takes. And then just edit from there, and usually that is enough to get to get a great take for the song. I, I may go back and have to redo a couple measures here and there, but but generally I I don't uh, you know beat my head against a wall. I just do the two takes, and that's good enough.
1: Uh, well, see, this is where I thought we were going with the topic originally. Is DIY killing your creativity? To me, more translates to is DIY killing your efficiency or ability to finish something when you're doing it yourself. Of course, you have You can have unlimited options and unlimited takes and you can just go and go forever and it's never going to be perfect. Either the take or the mix or whatever.
0: Right. And maybe that's really, that's actually more of what I was getting at rather than killing your creativity. I think you, I should have had you come up with that provocative title, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, really that's what it comes down to. I mean, like you said, we have unlimited options, unlimited tracks you know, how do you self-edit and actually get something done? Because at the end of the day, I mean, I think that's what's most important and, um, you know, is actually getting something done. Because you could, you could spend years and years and years, you know, chasing that perfect take and never achieve it. Or you get the, the perfect take, you know, technically, but you've long since lost that spark and it just, the performance sounds flat.
1: Well, you know, I, I am a pretty good example of that. We said we probably wouldn't talk about it, but I've got a project that's been in progress for over a decade now because I decided it was going to be my layered orchestrated project and it wasn't going to be finished until it had everything in it that I wanted. And it's languishing because it's taking so long to do. And in the meantime, I've probably made, I don't know, I probably 15 other records with my compositions, either of my own or with other people. Mm-hmm. Because those had parameters set, you know. We said, "Look, and for example, the last ping record." I said, "I'm going to make it like an old Kinks record." And those were recorded on eight tracks at their most extravagant, you know, and four track for for the bulk of the early material. And so, uh, nothing is doubled, you know. Everybody gets two takes or whatever, like you know, like your in your example. And if, you know, if you could, you'd set everybody else up up in a room and you'd record. Takes down together and actually get a band performance. You know, j- just imagine, unthinkable.
0: <laughs> yeah. What's that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah. But no doubling. So you 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 set some rules for your project. Okay. But you make it a game. Like uh, was Eno's e- e oblique. What what are what is yeah, the oblique method? The oblique strategy. Yep. And you know that that more has to do probably with role playing. But you could expand that to the parameters you're going to set. Okay. No more than. Than uh, two guitars, and nobody plays the same part ever, and and uh, you know no vocal doubling or something like that. And when at least you know what you have to shoot for, you're not gonna you're not gonna belabor those and go back over and over and over them, I'm trying to get the perfect blend. You just get a get a pop song down.
0: Yeah, no, I I think uh, coming up with some sort of parameters to work within is is a great idea to to keep the project on track. I know with my last album for uh, my project King Never, I didn't really. The only kind of parameters that I had is that I knew that I wanted to keep the number of guitar tracks down to a to a bare minimum, and in most cases that was you know one guitar part for the verses, and on the choruses maybe I would double track the uh, the guitar parts. And consequently, I mean, one advantage to doing that is it's, it has made it quite a bit easier to translate those songs into a three-piece band, mm-hmm. um, because there's not, you know, a bunch of additional parts that are needed to fill up the sound. It's like it's a guitar part, and that that's you know has worked really well. And because I approach the the songwriting and the recording that way. It it just seems to work, and it it just uh, fell together pretty pretty well. Now you know I I did. There are some songs where there are additional guitar parts, but for the most part, I I kept it pretty simple, and I think it works.
1: Well, it's another thing to consider there, though. Is you're you're pretty crafty with guitar processing and setting up effects and and sound production. So uh, are most of your guitar parts stereo guitar parts? Uh, on, for the chorus, I mean I one mean, one guitar producing a stereo sound,
0: right? For the verses, typically yes in stereo. For the choruses, because I was, I knew I was going to be double tracking. No, they were, you know, two mono guitar parts.
1: Sorry, and during the verses, your guitar generally right down the middle with your vocal. Yes. Did that ever give you any
0: trouble? No, because you know the parts were or the uh, the sounds were crafted, you know, in stereo. So there was enough spread that it didn't it didn't seem to be a problem. You know, for instance, um, on one song down low, I mean, I have a like kind of a ping ponging delay, so you know, most of the sound appears to be coming out of the right and left speakers. So, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't find that that it was a problem. And certainly, you know, the right applying the right EQ certainly makes a big difference there. I mean, there's no reason to have you know much of anything happening in the guitar department below you know 100 hertz, for instance. I mean, you can really carve out frequencies to make room for other instruments. But you know that. I'm preaching at the choir sure. here.
1: Well, you know, I was just thinking of what I would try to do if I were trying to uh, set up a very minimal arrangement with some jazz or bluegrass instrumentation. You know, if you if you had a violin or a saxophone, it'd be hard to put them straight down the middle with a, with a vocal. You'd, but I'm thinking guitar off to one side, if it's a trio and you've got bass drums and guitar it would be pretty awkward to pan those. I'm wondering what situation I might be called into where I wouldn't be able to pan a sax or a violin where it would uh, cramp the room of the vocal.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, I think, comes down to arrangement, too. You know, when you're working with a limited, you know, instrumental palette, you really do... Well, actually, you know, any ensemble of any size, you you know, you really should be paying attention to the arrangements so that, you know, instruments aren't stepping on each other. I mean, you don't need two guitars playing the same exact part. Or if you want them to play the same exact part, well, maybe have one an octave up and an octave down. You know, make some space in your arrangements so that you can, you know, get stuff to work like that. Um, <laughs> you know, and the, the the example that you were giving of, you know, in a three-piece, you know, it would be difficult to pan the guitar, anything dead center because it might sound a little bit weird. I mean, one thing that I did is I didn't pan the guitar part hard, hard left or hard right, but I panned it, I don't know, say a little bit to the left and added a little delay in the right channel um, to kind of flesh yeah. it out. Or if there's a prominent hi-hat part and you're playing a really bright guitar part, well, you might be able to get away with panning that guitar part opposite the hi-hat you know, because they might be filling up a kind of a similar... A similar frequency range or at least um, you know rhythmic part or something so there's some options there.
1: I actually find that using stereo delay is preferable to double tracking a lot of times. If you've got one good part and you want it to fill space in both speakers then you can use a little bit of stereo delay to push the same part over to the other side and it gives you that shimmer in space without without getting muddy.
0: Trying to think getting us back a little bit more onto the topic here. Slight detour, but that's okay. I think that's I think that's some good information there. It it seems to me that one thing that a lot of DIY projects seem to lack is kind of that professional sound when it comes down to mixing. That's one thing to keep in mind if you've tracked all your stuff at home and you're really happy or generally happy with the actual quality of, of each individual track, but you're having a hard time, you know, pulling it all together into a cohesive song, that that might be an excellent time to, you know, maybe find someone to to mix your songs.
1: It's well worth it. And if you don't want to just let it out of your hands because, uh, you know, you... Want... It's okay to be a control freak when it's your music project, uh, really, if it's all yours. It's all yours, and you can make whatever decisions you want. And there, Most people probably do have access to pro studios and mixers near where they live, or hopefully within driving distance, and you can interview some of them and say, I'm, I'm not prepared to mix my own project. I'm still learning the ropes. Um, would you mind if I come pay you to mix my record and I sit with you and ask questions? And a lot of people that do studio engineering are, are the studio rats and cave dwellers, and if they don't want to do that, uh, most of them seem to have the um, fortitude and ego to tell you, no, they won't do that. <laughs> but then the others might say, well, you know, the more questions I ask, the more time this is going to take, and I'm charging by the hour. So sure, come on in and bring all your questions. And that, that's that's just basically paying for private school and getting your mixed product out of it. And I wouldn't settle for a second-rate mix if I, if I had any, any, any way to avoid it.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, that kind of also goes back to knowing your abilities if, I mean, you know, you have to be honest with yourself. If you listen to your tracks and can honestly go, you know what, this does not sound... The way that I want it to sound, or you know, if you if you play your mix for some friends and they kind of go, "Oh yeah, sounds great," you know, <laughs> that might be time when you you we want to bring in someone else, and you know, another way and another way to look at it is, are my musician friends that I know that know I have a studio, or are they asking me to mix their you know to mix their projects, and that might be a good way to kind <clears> of <throat> gauge uh, the quality of your mixes, but. I think it 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 comes down to you really need to be honest with yourself. I mean, I know there's this whole, seems to be this whole generation, you know, the American Idol generation that is just completely clueless about their talent and abilities. But you know, I, I would really hope that you know it's it's time for some serious uh, self yeah, um, self evaluation. I mean, let's be honest, people. I mean, <laughs> you either have talent or you don't. And uh, you probably if you're honest with yourself, you you probably know what the answer is.
1: And I don't yeah, and again, speaking of the audience that we're speaking to, I don't think there's any shame in not knowing everything. I mean, it takes a long time to get to the Oh certainly. I mean and, and 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 I'm not I'm I'm not nearly there, so
0: yeah, well, I mean, I know I've, I've talked with other recording engineers that I, who I feel are, you know, farther along in their career path than I am. And they, you know, they still talk about, you know, they read an interview with such and such engineer or such and such producer, and it gives them ideas. So, I mean, that's a great thing about recording music is it really... If it's something you love, it, it's a lifelong learning process, and you really should never stop learning. There, there's always new techniques to try. You know, there's always different perspectives on on how best to mic up a snare drum or whatever. So, yeah, there, I don't think there's any shame in asking questions and, you know, admitting, hey, I don't know how to do this. Maybe talk to a friend who knows a little bit more. Pick up a book. You know, surf the internet, see what you can find out. I mean, it's all. You know, all that stuff is empowering, and it it can only make make you better. You know, but if you have the attitude that I'm I'm the best, you know, well, you're you're probably not going to progress because you're not you're not challenging yourself.
1: But yeah, the, I mean, the the engineering community in particular—that's the thing I loved about going to the tapop and the potluck audio conferences. Uh, you know, there's a real brotherhood and sisterhood to the whole thing, and everybody seems to know that or recognize that everybody else in the room. Has something unique or special that they can do, or know, or just you know, what's your what's your stupid engineering trick? Everybody wants to know the the individual secrets that everybody has because nobody feels like they've right. got it all.
0: Yeah, and that's that's great. I mean, I know I live pretty close to uh, San Francisco, and there's a you know there's still a pretty vibrant recording community there, and I've joined a, a kind of a local. Oh, it's called Bar Map. It's like Bay Area recording mixing, mastering, and audio production. And it's a group we meet about once a month or so. And we have guest speakers from well-known mastering engineers and other engineers. And it's just a great way to network with other engineers. And, you know, there's people there that um, being an engineer is their full-time job. And then there's hobbyists that are just learning. And so it's a really great, great place to bounce ideas off of other engineers. And, you know, I bet you there's other, other groups like that out there.
1: Yeah, out here, out here, it's ears. The Engineering and Recording okay. Society, or uh, I think that's yeah.
0: the are. Called. Oh, and and of course, you know, there's AES. Um, there's a right. local chapter here that I belong to that that meets about uh, about once a month as well. So there, there really are a lot of places where you can hook up with other recording engineers if if you don't. Uh,
1: you... Especially for students on college campuses, it's good to seek out and find out if there's an AES chapter locally. But there's a yeah, there's a, there are a lot of mentoring resources through through AES. And well, I
0: don't know. You know, I, I think we've kind of touched on the topic, and hopefully that's you know given some people some ideas about how to keep their projects on track. I I don't know.
1: But what is it what does it come down to? What's the bottom line? Is DIY killing your creativity? And we're saying things like, well, don't let it keep you from ever finishing anything. Don't let DIY kill your creativity by. Making you so inefficient that you just work and work and work on the same thing while other people are you know producing album after album and at the same time don't let DIY kill your creativity uh, if you're spending so much time working on the technical side that you're not working on the musical side that's where it's a good idea to go out and find outside help I think those are the two sides of the coin that we've touched on tonight is that
0: yeah an I think that's summary? a great summary and really you know as we said, there's no shame in asking for help. And certainly if asking for help, for, you know, from someone to help you record something or mix something or, or mastering something, if that helps you get the project done, that's great.
1: And what le- helps you to learn something that gives you one step closer to self-sufficiency. Yeah. And I know great.
0: that, you know, for, for myself working on my own projects, I do reach a point where I am so sick of it that I just want to get it done. And luckily when I hit that point, I'm usually very close to getting it done, and I can wrap it up. But you know, if if I had if I was sick of a project and had you know five more songs to record that I was really excited about but just dreaded the, the idea of recording it, I would probably you know book some time in a studio and you know rehearse a band and just get in there and get it done uh, and move on. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I think that's one one part of being you know a musician, you know, or a creative individual in any in any field is that you really do need to be exercising that creativity and part of that is is working on something, getting it done and moving on to the next thing. Um it's all, you know, the the more you're able, the more songs you write, the better your songs are going to get, the quicker you're going to be able to turn them around. So I think, you know, as long as you're keeping forward momentum, you know, go for it and if the DIY approach is working for you, you know, keep doing it. But if it's not, well, maybe get some help.
1: Uh, there's a musician I like a lot, his name's Steve Hendelong. He's the drummer for a band yes. called the choir and, and he writes all of their all of the band's lyrics. So uh, he's he's sort of the man behind the scenes, but he's also the uh, kind of the emotional center of the group in a lot of ways. And what he says about his creative process is that he can tinker forever too, but the rule he lives by is drop the feather in the river, and just it's kind of a flowery phrase that just means it's it's time to let it go and and find its way in the world, drift around in the currents and see see what sort of ears it can find. So don't be afraid to let something go, whether it's whether you feel it's attained to perfection or not. If it's if it's time to time to yeah, everybody needs to know when it's time to move on.
0: Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Studio Rats podcast. I, I hope that we gave you some information that can be helpful to you as you're working on your own projects. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can in a number of different ways. You can drop us an email at podcast at com. Of course, you can go to finleysound.com slash blog and comment directly on this podcast episode. You can get in touch with Jeff by going to MarathonRecords.com slash ping or on Twitter at uh, Jeff underscore Elbel. Is that? That's correct. All right. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Finley Sound. And I also do have a Finley Sound page set up on Facebook. And probably the best way to find that is just to type in Finley Sound in the little search box. And we're the only Finley Sound on there. So that'll get you, get you right there. And I did want to mention if you are in a band or or a solo artist and would like to have one of your songs featured on the podcast episode as our intro and outro music, please let us know because we'd love to get some new music on the show and it might be a great way to, to get some exposure for your group. And I did want to give a special thanks to Mark Marshall who provided the excellent music for this podcast. The song was called Something to Believe In, and you can find more out about Mark at markmarshall.com. That's Mark is M-A-R-K, and Marshall is spelled just like the amp, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L.com. So thanks for joining us, and uh, I think that will wrap it up.
1: Thanks, everybody, for listening.